Well, during this season of Lent, as we prepare for Easter, we've been taking a look at uh, seven letters that Jesus wrote to churches in the Roman province of Asia Minor. And these are found in the second and third chapter of the book of Revelation. And we've covered four so far. We Ephesus, Smyrna, Chris covered Pergamum, and then last week we looked at Thyatira. And that was a, a city, a church, if you will, uh, that compromised. They compromised their morals, their Christian morality, their ethics for the sake of financial gain. Well, this week we're turning our attention to the city of Sardis and Jesus' letter to the church in Sardis. Sardis was a center of the woolen trade in those days, and methods of dyeing wool and working with wool were developed. But the city of Sardis had a problem. The city had been destroyed by a huge earthquake. Now, Rome came along and pumped a lot of money into the city and rebuilt it. But it basically existed as a welfare city. And as a result, there was very little spirit in the community. And what was worse, the church reflected the mood of the culture around it. They talked the same language, if you will. So what happened is the city lacked spirit. So the church lacked spirit. The, the, the city felt despair. The church, it felt despair too. The city was unsure about their future, and so the church was unsure about its future. Well, here is the first lesson from Sardis, and, and we haven't even hit the scripture yet, but the first lesson is this. The church should be more than a reflection of the world around us. The church should be more than a reflection of the world around us. And too often, that's not the case. Too often, the mood of the surrounding culture is the mood of the church. For example, when the news is doom and gloom, a lot of times the mood within the church is doom and gloom. When anger and fighting seems to be what the world is all about, it sometimes that spills over into the churches as well. News and happenings of the world rob a lot of people of their joy, but it should never rob a Christian of their joy. Amen? Amen? I mean, we can have the band come up and play Joy of the Lord again. Because what's the source of your joy? Yes. Yes, Nehemiah said this in 8.10. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So we should be people of joy. Our joy comes in our relationship with Jesus. And that gives us strength. Knowing what the true source of joy was. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. Rejoice. In the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all, the Lord is near. So regardless of what is going on in the world around us, we are people who should have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, we're told in Galatians 5, produces joy. In the Apostle John's first letter, 
1 John, uh, he opens up with a, a brief statement about Jesus, and he calls him the Word of Life. And he said, the Word of Life has made a way for you and I to have eternal life. And then he says this, we write this to make our joy complete. So, for a Christian, we know the source of joy, and Jesus should make our joy complete. Well, back to Sardis, they, they lack joy, they lack spirit. Let's see what else. Uh, Revelation 3.1 To the angel of the church in Sardis, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Well, in our book of Revelation study that we're having on Sunday night uh, and Wednesday evening as well, we've learned that the seven spirits are always found near the throne of God. And those seven spirits are always ready to, to go out and to bring the decree of God to the world. But more importantly for us, Jesus says, He holds the seven stars. And in the book of Revelation, stars and lampstands, they usually signify the same thing. What's that? Yeah, see, there's some people that go to Bible study. It signifies the church. And so Jesus is telling us that I hold the seven stars. You go to Bible study, why didn't you answer? (laughs) Just picking on you. Anyway, so Jesus says, I'm holding the seven stars. Now, seven also in the book of Revelation means complete. So Jesus holds all of the churches. That's what he's telling us there in his opening to Sardis. I hold all the churches. And so here's the second truth of this letter. The church is not mine. The church is not yours. The church belongs to Jesus, and we are entrusted with its care. Sometimes Christians, they get right possessive of my church. And I understand when we talk about where it is that we go for worship or where we attend, we might say my church. But sometimes this possessiveness creeps into other aspects of our church life. It creeps into our programming. It creeps into our budgeting. And so we should ask ourselves, Do our programs here at this church and does our budget here at this church reflect our desire to attract non-members and non-believers? Well, I I would ask this. How many of you members have actually seen a budget? Hmm. Well, I know you do. Because you help us make it. And Chris. But the average church member has no idea. No idea. Have you ever wondered what we're doing to reach the loss? What we're doing to reach the people who aren't in church? Or, many churches' programs and their budgets are are simply made up in a way to satisfy those who call it their church. Many Christians even get possessive of a Sunday school room that they use for less than one hour every week. And by golly, that's my class. And they get upset if somebody else is meeting in there during the week. It's Jesus' church. They're Jesus' rooms. Well, let's continue. Revelation 3.1. Jesus says, I know your deeds... 
You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. You know, there are some people who say, my preaching is hard. I've never called you dead. Never. But this is what Jesus does. I know you deed. You got a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Here was a church who had a reputation in the community, a reputation of being alive. He probably, they probably had a lot of good ministry going on. But you know what? There's civic groups that got a lot of ministry going on. I'm a member of the Kiwanis Club. We do a whole bunch of good ministry for children. Uh, some of you might be a member of the Rotary Club. They do a lot of good ministry. Organizations like the United Way do a lot of good ministry but it doesn't make them God's church. The church in Sardis probably had good attendance and worship, but ministry in the community and worship are good things, but a church with those can still be spiritually dead. The church in Sardis wasn't rebuked for their sexual immorality or their idol worship like the church in Thyatira that we looked at last week was. They weren't rebuked for not having things going on. They were rebuked for a lack of spirit. Churches and Christians can seemingly be doing nothing bad and still be wrong and still sin. And so the next lesson from the church in Sardis, and it's a hard lesson. It really is a hard lesson, but we we need to face it. Being a dispassionate Christian, being a Christian without passion is a sin. In fact, I would go so far to say that not having passion for Jesus Christ is not being a Christian. And you might say that's a stretch, but we're going to look at the words of Jesus and how he tells us that's so. So how do we become passionate. How do we stay passionate for Jesus? Well, it's all about the Spirit of God. We've got to seek the Spirit of God. First John says, this is how we know that we live in Him and He in us. He gave us of His Spirit. And then Paul, writing to the churches in Galatia, said, since we live in the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And we can know We can know if we've fallen out of step with the Spirit. We can do a self-check and and clearly know if we're keeping step with the Spirit. And all we got to do is ask ourselves this question. Are the desires of my heart what God desires? Think about what God desires. Are the desires of my heart what God desires? Desires And God desires that we seek God before anything and everything. Jesus said in Matthew 6, this is a Sermon on the Mount, Chris referenced it earlier, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. And just a little bit later, he said, seek first. Do you think when Jesus said seek first, he meant an hour on Sunday? You think he meant, oh, there's Paul Ramsey. Didn't think you were here today. Do you think when he said seek first, he meant at the end of the day when you finally got everything done, you know, give him five minutes before it's time for Netflix? Do you think 
Huh? You think he means all day. My goodness, that Jesus guy, he's pretty strict, isn't he? Well, let me tell you, Jesus doesn't want more from you. He wants more for you. He wants more for you. And this is where I'm going with uh, being a dispassionate Christian is a sin because Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind. He says that's the first and greatest commandment. The first and greatest commandment. If Jesus says it's a command, should we be doing it? Yes, okay? If Jesus says it's a command, we ought to be doing it. And, and so if we're not loving on Jesus with our whole heart, our whole mind, our whole soul, then we lack passion, right? And that's a sin. That's a sin. If we seek God before everything else, the Spirit of God will grow in us. And consequently, a passion for Jesus will grow in us. And this is precisely... Precisely what Jesus tells the Christians in Sardis. Wake up! Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. The fact that Jesus tells them to strengthen what remains is good news. Because they had it within them. They had it within them to turn things around. And no matter where you are in your spiritual life, you have it within you to turn things around. In fact, it's never too late. It's never too late to strengthen our spiritual lives. I often preach about strengthening our spiritual lives, but I do that because the Bible speaks often of strengthening our spiritual lives. And sometimes, like Jesus calling the Christians in Sardis dead, the Bible speaks plainly and boldly about waking up. Romans 13, And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber. And this is the call of the season of Lent as we prepare for Easter, is to wake up from any spiritual slumber. The problem with the church in Sardis is that spiritual slumber had lured them into complacency. And I want you to know that complacency is the church's subtle enemy. It creeps in unnoticed. Complacency lulls church members to be satisfied with the way they are. I'm happy. Complacent Christians don't want anything else from the church. They got no need to go to Bible study. I don't need that. I'm happy with the way I am. I don't need to take advantage of, of this teaching. I'm happy. I'm complacent. Complacent Christians, when no new faces show up around them, they're fine. It's okay. It's okay. I'm happy. And even worse, complacent Christians aren't bothered when the church isn't reaching out to the loss. Complacent Christians will often talk about the past successes, but they won't be talking about what God's got in store for us yet. Complacent Christians say things like, well, we used to do... And complacent Christians end up saying 
Those seven deadly words of a church. We've never done it that way before. This is why it is said, wake up sleeper, wake from the dead, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Let's return to the passage in Revelation. Remember, therefore, what you have received and what you've heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know what time I will come to you. So Jesus gives a challenge, wake up, and a warning. I'm going to come like a thief. Is Jesus like some kind of spiritual ninja just sneaking up on you? (laughs) Yes, actually. He's like Elvis. He's everywhere. You never know when he's going to show up. Or maybe that's Santa Claus. I don't know what it was. Anyway, you never know when Jesus is going to show up. But, but he's not really... What he's saying there is something that he said to the other churches. He just doesn't give the complete verse there. Now go back to the, uh, Revelation 2.5. This is what he said to the church in Ephesus. Repent and do the things that you did at first. If you do not repent... I'll come to you and remove your lampstand. And that's what Jesus says. You better watch out because I'm going to come to you like a thief. And what's he going to come and do? He's going to remove the lampstand. And remember in the book of Revelation, lampstands like stars represent what? Churches. And so Jesus says, if you don't turn it around, I'm going to remove the church. Jesus has been hard at work in this country. Removing churches. Before the pandemic, our country was losing on average 2,000 churches a year. Yeah. Complacency. Lack of spirit. New research just out this past several months suggests that in the next two years, 20% of all churches in this country will close. 20%. I went to pick my mom up for church and I was riding by some churches and I'm like, there's nobody there. Now, some people are blaming that on COVID. But COVID only shut churches down for a period of time. The problem is not COVID. The problem is lack of spirit. A lack of love for Jesus With their whole heart and whole mind. And the problem is complacency. It's a harsh letter. But I sense that complacency is not really the biggest issue we face. Not that some of us aren't complacent. Some of us are. But we need to read this letter and read it again as a warning. That we would be on guard against complacency. Jesus' letter to Sardis is a warning. But he also says, you know what, church, you're not a lost cause. He says, yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. And he's referring uh, to this process of dyeing wool because that's what the business of their culture was. You have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white for they are worthy. Soiled clothing in the dying process was useless in the marketplace. Soiled Christians from complacency and lack of spirit are useless to the causes of Christ. 
And so the letter in Sardis is harsh. It's a hard letter. It's a hard letter. But it's a letter that should give us hope. Wake up. Wake up. And if you haven't fallen asleep, good. Stay awake. I bet you got some Christian friends that have fallen asleep, though. I bet you do. I bet you they haven't been going to church. I bet you, you know, uh, COVID was kind of convenient for some people. I don't have to go to church, I'll catch it online. But then they said, I don't have to watch it, it's online. I can go do whatever I want and watch it later. And some did. And then some said they were going to do it. Just never got around to it. I shared that before. When COVID started and the shutdowns came, we can track who's online and who's not. And how many we've got and where they're watching from. And when COVID first hit and we shut down, our numbers online were great. We're like, man, this is good. This is good. And after a few weeks, it just went like that. Lack of spirit. Complacency. That's Jesus' letter to us, and it's a harsh one, but he says this. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says. Do we have ears? Chris preached about this a few weeks ago. We've got these spiritual eyes and these spiritual ears. And so Lent is a time to make sure that we are spiritually awake. And so I don't know where you are in your spiritual life, but it's always a good time in our spiritual life to do a check. Are the desires of my heart the desires of God? Do I want the things that God wants? Am I passionate? Am I seeking God with all of my heart, soul, and mind? Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, we give you thanks for your spirit that you've given to us. And I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't grieve that spirit. I pray that we would seek that spirit, that we would say, Holy Spirit, talk to me, guide me, correct me. Correct me when I'm wrong and I'm complacent. Wake me up. I pray for the church. I pray for the church in the world, the church in our country, and I pray for Wesley Church. That we would never look back. We just want you to do greater things, and we're going to look forward to greater things that you're going to do. That we're going to give in the expectation that great things are going to happen. That we're going to wake up our sleeping friends and invite them to church. And that you, Lord, you, Lord, will do wonderful things in our lives. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.